All right, all right. So today, um, we, we've been doing this series that I've really, really enjoyed. It's been our Heroes series, right? So today, we're going to look at the many heroes, 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 the many heroes of Christmas, okay? So that's, uh, we're not, we're going to look at Mary first and foremost. Well, not foremost, but first. But you know what? Mary was one of the heroes of Christmas, but she's not the only hero. So we're going to look at the story, and we're going to pick up something from each one of these heroes uh, that made Christmas what it is, and why we're here, and why we're celebrating today. So we're going to start with Mary, the faith of a servant. And I want to even, I'm, I'm going to add another, an extra word, um, the faith of a servant girl, not a woman, a girl. She was a teenager, this is not a grown woman. This was a teenage girl given an assignment. So when I look at faith, the faith of a servant girl, faith is defined, and we find the greatest definition for that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the substance. I hope for things. It is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what I know and believe about God. It's what I know. It's the kind of thing that I may not be able to see God, but I know He's there. I may not be able to, 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 to make Him show up, but He is in my heart. I can feel Him. I, 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 so faith is that knowledge, I know this to be true. I may not be able to, to show you on a piece of paper or draw it or show you a picture or, or make it appear, but I know this. Hope is what I desire from God in the future. Faith and hope are like two sides of a coin. Now, in Luke chapter 1, the story starts in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, one of the things that I want to draw right out of the bank is right this, the virgin birth. Now, I want you to think about this, the virgin birth. So when we read the story of, of Jesus and, and how the Messiah came, I want you to, like one of the things that I've been working on on our tidbits every morning um, is, is how do I, what's the evidence that I, I have for faith? How do I know that what I believe is real, and how do I stand on that? I want you to think about something. If you were tasked with the job of creating a cult, okay, I'm just, if you were going to create your own cult, right, would you, do, would you go out and proclaim something that's absolutely impossible and you would never be able to prove it? I want you to think about this. If you were going to create a cult, you're going to want to come up with something that's actually believable so you can trick people into coming. Does that make sense? So when I look at this story, this, is the, this, is the, this, is, this isn't a bunch of people trying to create a cult. This is, God, are you sure you want me to write that down? You know, a virgin birth is kind of hard. I'm just saying, Lord, I hear you speaking to me. Are you sure you want me to prophesy a virgin birth? Because that's never happened before. This isn't, so here's the thing is what God wants to do is God says, I want to create something. I'm wanting to show you who I am. And the only way that I can get you to believe is by doing the impossible. Then you'll know it's me, right? 
So what God does is he says, I'm going to do something that's never been done before, and I'm sending my son to you through a virgin birth. Because it's impossible. And that's the entire point. And that's what I love about this is because, you know, at first I remember when I was young in the ministry and Christmas would come around, I'm like, man, talking about a virgin birth is really weird because it's impossible. And then now I'm like, I can't wait for the impossible because with God, nothing's impossible. So that's why we're here. So to me, to talk about the virgin birth is not weird and it's not scary. It's like, a man, it's like, the, like God, when he says, I'm going to show you it's me, I'm going to say something that sounds absolutely absurd and then I'm going to do it then you'll know that it's God. I mean, if I was trying to create something, I would not have gone with that. So, the other part of this that I saw, the angel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. I looked at that and I was just like, "Mm." oh, to be favored by God. I mean, I want you to think about that. Just to be favored by God. That statement alone should have some kind of weight in your life. To be favored by God. See, this is God favoring you. It's not you favoring God among all the other gods. It's the other way around. God, blessed are you who are highly favored. And so I look at this word favored, right? It is a, it's, a, it's a Greek word, karatu, and it comes from charis, which is grace. Huh? So, his favor, when God favors you, it's really, it's a kind of grace. Here's the definition for karatu. To give someone a benefit out of kindness. I'm going to give you a benefit in life out of my kindness. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I'm going to freely, graciously give you kindness. So to be favored by God is when he shows you kindness. So guess what? Each of us sitting in this room are highly favored by God because he has graciously given to each one of us his kindness. Every one of us. Think about that. The definition by favor is God graciously giving you kindness. How many of you could testify by a shout of praise that he has shared with you graciously kindness? Amen. Right? So what I love about this is here's an angel saying, hey, blessed are you, highly favored one. And then I look at it today, we're all highly favored now. Maybe we couldn't always say that, but here's the thing I can say today. Since Jesus has come to this earth, we are highly favored because he has shown to all of us the kindness through Jesus Christ. So what's really interesting and awesome about this word highly favored in Greek, it is perfect tense. means it's something that was done in the past with lasting results that will never be changed. Like there's some, when it's perfect, it can't be broken. So God is doing something in the past and it's going to perfectly uphold all the way through eternity. Perfect tense. Not often is that used in the Bible, but here it is. When you're favored by God, it's perfect. It's a perfect and it ain't gonna stop. Just because we fall down on our face, his favor and kindness showing to you doesn't stop. Perfect tense, 
Passive. Passive means this. It is God completely being the one giving this action. He is the one showing favor. She's not showing favor back. This was favor to God to you. Mary, you are highly favored. It wasn't because, hey, because you favored God, God now favors you. God favors you even when you didn't favor him. He's kind to you even when you're not kind to him. He shows perfect kindness to you even when you're not kind. God shows you kindness even when you're not kind to all of his other children. Hmm. Think about that. We're sitting with his children. Because when we are saved, what do we become? A child of God. I've been on this really big kick lately. If you've been in any of my classes, man, I'll tell you what, John 17 is a passage that I just, God is burning in my soul. Jesus prays for all of church people of all times, and he's praying. He says, God, may they, the church people, be one as I am one with you and you are one with me, so that the world, the lost people all around the church, will know that you sent me. Do you want to know how the world knows that Jesus was sent by the Father? Is what happens in here. When we are bickering and we're grumbling and we're complaining and when we're backbiting and when we're quitting and we're acting with all the drama llama, when we're doing all that, all we're doing is showing the world that Jesus didn't get sent by the Father and it's all a scam. And it ain't. When God gives you favor, he gave you favor when you didn't restore the favor. He gives you favor even when you're not showing kindness to the people around you that God commands you to be kind. His kindness never ends. And that's what he wants from us, to him and to everyone else. And it's a participle. Perfect, passive participle. PPP. Highly favored, it's perfect, it does not stop. God doesn't stop showing us kindness, even when we're knuckleheads. Passive, he's the one that's doing it. He is showing you kindness before you ever thought about giving kindness. And it's a participle. Participle, for all those kids uh, in, in, in English, I'm helping you out. A participle is a verbal adjective. It is an action that describes you. In other words, showing kindness is an action that shows us who God is. He is known for His kindness. Is God not known for His kindness in your life? Come on. Is He not known? When you start thinking back, and, and we're, here, we're here to celebrate Christmas, the, the, the ultimate gift of grace that God ever gives was Jesus. This right now, what we're about to celebrate tomorrow morning is not about the presents. It's not about the tree. It's not about our sweaters. It's about God showing the ultimate kindness to me by sending His Son, His one and only Son, that is kindness. That is his kindness. All right. Mary was greatly troubled. I mean, if you consider a youth hearing from an angel, an angel shows up, and the angel is saying, hey, you who are highly favored, she's greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God again. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. Something about that name. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give you, or will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is an eternal kingdom. Mary replied, though, to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? What she's saying is, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How do you have a child without the other part? The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now in the sixth month of her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. God in His plan to bring Jesus, to make sure that no one was going to miss this, making sure that no one missed the Son of God coming, prophesied through Isaiah a virgin birth. Also prophesied through the prophet Micah the exact place in where he was to be born in Bethlehem. Pretty important pieces there. A virgin birth and the location of the birth. Both of them predicted two different prophets hundreds of years before it happened. How about that? Right? She says, how can this be? An honest question. What I love is the angel doesn't only answer the question, okay, this is, gonna be, this is how we can make sure that this is known as God's son. Right? But he also says, I'm going to give you some evidence that you can believe in. You know your your cousin, your relative, your aunt. Remember her? She's old. She was unable to have children. In fact, everyone called her barren. Barren means that you have tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to have children, but you cannot have them. He says in an age where not only she wasn't able to have children in her life, not only was she not able to have children in her life, now she's too old to have children, and this is what I did. So what he's saying is, Mary, I need you to be able to believe me so you can go check out this. You can go to your relative. Go back to your relative and find out for yourself. See for yourself whether what I'm speaking is true. Now here's what I love. So he says, for with God nothing, he's making sure that she understands who God is. When you think about with God, nothing will be impossible. What does this mean? It means this, there is nothing in your life bigger or stronger than God. There is nothing our God cannot do. Is that the kind of faith that we have though? See, we we are so limited in every way, aren't we? We're so limited and what often we do as humans is I'm limited so I begin to limit God. Come on, right? See, what I, the first thing I'm wanting you to know is Mary, she's a hero of the faith because she teaches us simple faith just to believe God at His Word. With God, nothing is impossible. And this is how she responds. I am the Lord's servant. May your word, be, word to me be fulfilled. That's what she's saying. She's okay. I mean, like, most of us would be like, hold on, got a follow-up question. And to that follow-up question, I have another question, and then I have another question, and can you give me seven signs to those questions and plus another question? God, I just, I don't know. Right? How many of us continue to question God? God has spoken to you. He showed something to you. He's revealed to you. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, God, I got a question. 
And then he gives you the answer like, okay, I still have some more questions and I'm not sure I'm on, on board. And what does she say? I am what? The Lord's servant. When God speaks to you, is that how you respond? God, I'm your servant. Do to me as you will. Is that where our heart is? See, that's where Mary's heart was. She was full of faith and she says, okay, God, do to me whatever you want. I'm yours. Have you ever told God that? God, do whatever you want to do in my life. I'm your servant. Or are we the kind of person that says, God, I'm your servant as long as it's what I want to do? Oh, come on, right? See, this, I'm guaranteeing you, she's not, as a teenager, not excited about giving birth. And if, you're, if we're going to be honest, think about this. She's like, wow, okay, you're not only tasking me with, with having a child, but this child is the son of God. What if I drop him on his head? Right? Listen, worship team, there's only one song I had a problem with. Chris, it was the first one. When you start thinking about the drummer boy, right? Mary just puts little baby Jesus to sleep, and he's really sleeping, and here comes a drummer boy. He's like, oh, I know what Jesus needs, a drum solo, <laughs> right? Now, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, sorry. Okay, so, oh, to have the faith. L- listen, man, if we could just have the faith of Mary and just simply believe God at his word, can't, why can't we just believe God at his word? If God says it, I believe it. Why can't we be there? Because we don't have the faith of Mary. So Mary is here to show us the path. God, I'm your servant. May your word be fulfilled as you say it. That's what I want for us. I want us to come to a place in our lives where it's like, God, I just believe you at your word. You say it in your word, I believe it. Can we get there, folks? Can we get there? God, I'm going to believe you at your word. All right, well, let's look at Joseph. Joseph, the obedience of a husband. So now in Matthew chapter 1, so she's now found to be with child. So now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, that means engaged for you young folks, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child of the Holy Spirit. Now at this point, Joseph's got some questions of his own. Right? He's got some questions. So... She's found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, that's impossible, right? A virgin birth is impossible. So if, if, if your girlfriend showed up and, and, and you're engaged and, and you're about to get married and she says, I'm with a child, you're going to be like, and she says, well, it's God's child. You're going to have a lot more questions, right? Okay. Wouldn't you have some follow-up questions? Joseph wasn't on board yet. Being a just man, he not wanting to make a public, he didn't want to make a big deal about her and get her, you know, in that day you could get stoned for this. He was going to put her away. He was going to divorce her quietly. I'm going to, I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to break off the engagement. I'm going to do it very quietly. I don't want to I don't want her to be made a big spectacle in front of the church, in front of the rabbis, in front of the community. I'm going to do this very quietly. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord. See, what was going to change his mind, right? So, 
What, we got to change Joseph's mind. He's going to divorce the girl because he doesn't believe the girl. What are we going to have to do in this story? And so God, you know, in his infinite wisdom, what are we going to have to do to get him? We're going to send an angel. I mean, if an angel showed up to you and started speaking, you're probably going to believe the angel. Am I right? That's, I, that would have probably worked. All right, so the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Isn't that cool? He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled by which the Lord spoke through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You know how this verse ends? The very next verse, 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, being awoke up, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Simple obedience, folks. He took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth to the firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. See, it's one thing to hear from God. I want you to hear me. So here's the thing. is Mary teaches us one thing. She heard from the angel, and she said, so be it. He hears from the angel and did it. It's one thing to hear from God, but it's another thing to obey God. Right? So when you, you, you guys, here's the reality is a lot of you are hearing from the Lord on a regular basis. If you open up the word of God, you're hearing from God because it's his word. Am I right? Let me give you an example. I got to offend you at some point, you know, stir the pot up a little bit. We all know that the Bible, Jesus himself said in in Matthew chapter 7, I use this because it's usually relevant to all of us, because most people struggle with forgiveness. Am I right? Nobody was quick to answer that one. We're going there again. The Bible says that if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven, right? I mean, that's what Jesus himself said. And he says, I want you to forgive as I have forgiven you. So here's the deal. We know what the Bible says about forgiveness. And yet, I'm not going to ask because I don't want you to raise your hands, but there's some of us in this very room that have people in our lives that we have not. So it's one thing to hear from God. God, I know what you want me to do, and it's a whole nother thing to do it. You see? So what he is a hero, he did what God told him to do. What would happen in your life, in my life, if we did what God told us to do? The Bible says, do all things without complaining and arguing. See, you guys already know where I'm going. It's one thing to know what God says. It's a whole nother thing to do what he says. My daughter's making fun of me in the front row. Bible also says, honor your father and your mother. I'm just saying. And it'll go well with you. If not, it won't go well with you. Man. See, I want you to hear me. When you know what God's word says and you choose not to do it, you're in rebellion. The opposite of obedience. When you know what God says about the area in your life and you say, I'm not doing that, you're saying no to God, and that's rebellion. 
It would be the same way when your child says, no, dad. Like, could you say that into my good ear? I just thought you said, I know you didn't tell me no. Parents, am I right? I mean, if, your kids are, if you're okay with your kids saying no to you, set up a meeting. We'll work on that. You're the parent. They're the kid, right? I tell them, I'm not, I'm not your friend. I'm your dad. I love you. I'll die for you, but I'm your dad. You don't get to tell me no. When you get out of my house, you can do your own house. But my house, my rules, me and my household, we serve the Lord, the Joshua thing, you know. See, here's the thing. Guys, don't miss what he teaches us. He teaches us when God says something, I'm doing it. Man, it sounds simple, right? Okay, God said it, do it, right? I am to love my neighbor. But how hard is it? Especially when your neighbor lives in your house. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's really hard to love the one in your house. And that's exactly what God teaches us. So when I say, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm in rebellion. It's not simple obedience. It's now just pure out simple rebellion. When God says it, I do it. That's what obedience looks like. Let's look at the shepherds. The shepherds, the courageous witness of the shepherds. I like this. All right, so here we go. In Luke chapter 2, Uh, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Man, the angels are busy right now, right? The angels are moving. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. Can you imagine this beautiful picture? And, And they were terrified. Of course they would be. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Isn't it amazing that every time an angel shows up, he has to say, don't be afraid. Everybody's afraid. If you stood in the glory of God, if, you just, if we got just a glimpse of the glory of God, we're on our face. And the angel has to say, it's okay, don't be afraid. You're going to die, it's just not today. So, they were terrified. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, right? That's not the bad news. I'm bringing you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Not some people, all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. So the angel's giving them the sign of who it's going to be. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Guys, I know that all of the mangers look so cute. Do you guys know what a manger is? It's a horse trough, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a where you feed the animals, right? So you know, all the people are like, oh, it's so cute. You know what all the animals are saying? There's a baby in the salad. That's what all the animals are saying. The donkey's looking over like, there's a baby. They're all like, ooh, and an on. It's in our food. Now my food doesn't smell so good. You guys get what I'm saying, right? I mean, we look at this and go, oh, it's so cute. It's awesome, and I love that this has happened. But here's the sign. How many babies have you seen lying in a manger? Zero until you got One. You see, the angel's making sure, hey, we're going to make sure there's no room at the end. We're going to make sure that when we start telling everybody about what's going on, it's going to be easy to see the signs. The signs give me evidence, and my faith begins to grow. Huh? Isn't that amazing how smart God is? He's like, okay, these are a bunch of dumb people. We're going to have to really work with them. So, okay, we're going to have no room at the end. We're going to have to have the baby in a horse trough. 
as a sign. Because you're not going to find very many babies born in the stable, except for if you were horses and, in the, and you know, animals. So, you're gonna write, he's going to be lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. They knew which town it was. They knew which town was the city of David. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they went. They hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph, and the baby was lying exactly where the angel said it was, in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word. Listen to this. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Well, what was told to them? It's going to save his people from... You remember that part? The angel said, hey, when you find this is going to be the, the Savior, he's going to be the Messiah, he's going to save people. So what are they telling people? The Messiah is here to save us from our sins. They went around and they spread the word. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying, praising God for all the things which had been seen and which they had been told. When I start thinking about these shepherds, when I start thinking about it, here's a shepherds, that, these are guys that are just watching over sheep. They're making sure that no wolves eat the sheep. So these guys become first class evangelists. You hearing me? A survey in 2000, there was 2,000 non-believers surveyed by LifeWay. 29 percent 29% of 2,000 non-believers say that a Christian has only 29 percent of them has ever had a Christian share with them one-on-one or what it means to be a Christian. Basically, what, it's, what I'm saying is one out of every three lost people, two out of, I'm sorry, two out of every, th- two out of every three non-believers have not had a Christian truly share with them what it means to be a Christian. Isn't that sad? When we have as many Christians as we have, and yet out of these non-believers, like we know what Christianity kind of is, but we've never had one of our Christian friends ever tell us about it. Also, while 33% that say that a Christian has shared with them the importance of church, so it's still the same number. Still only a third of them hear about the importance of going to church. Well, you know, what's really hard about that is when Christians themselves don't even think it's important to attend church. Well, what message are we already sending, right? In the same survey, these non-church-going non-believers, they said 66 of the, 66% of them have Christian friends, okay? 33% of these non-believers admire the faith of their friends, their Christian friends. They admire, they're like, wow, there's something about that. 47% say they would be open for a religious conversation. 
50, basically 50% of non-believers would be open to having a conversation with their friends about their faith. 79% of non-believers say they don't mind listening to their Christian friends talk about their faith. They don't mind listening. It doesn't bother them when their Christian friends talk about Jesus. So what's the problem, right? Here's what I also researched. Christians are not sharing their faith. Why? Well, they have all kinds of, we have all kinds of excuses. One excuse is, I'm not trained properly. I, I, I don't know my faith. I, I, I'm, I, I'm inadequate, right? The fear of inadequacy, the fear of rejection, the fear of not being, uh, not knowing enough, right? The fear of, 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 of someone rejecting them. I want to ask you this question. What training did these shepherd boys have? How many weeks did they have to go to class to go tell them that Jesus is the Messiah? He's coming to save your soul. He loves you. How hard is that? We don't need 12 weeks of evangelism training to go tell the world that Jesus has come and Jesus loves them and he has made a way for their life. We don't need training for that. We just need to be faithful in doing it. It just... It drives me nuts as a pastor. I can't tell you how many. Well, I just don't know what I'm doing. Did you get saved? Well, yes. Then tell them about that. Tell them how Jesus changed your life. 79% of your lost friends don't mind hearing about how Jesus changed your life. So share it. (laughs) A hero courageously shares their faith. These shepherds weren't, they didn't go to no school for teaching. They didn't go to no training for how to share their faith. They just did it. I think the best evangelists are the ones who just do it. They love you enough to tell you that Jesus loves you. All right, wise men, running out of time. All right. Wise men, the recognition of a king. So here's something interesting. When we, we're, this, this is one of those things I thought was really interesting. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? He, we saw his star when it rose and came to worship him. When King Herod heard of all this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Here's what's interesting. Magi, you're not gonna, we're not going to know a lot about this, but Magi from the east. These would have been pagans. They would not have been, they're not Jews. They're not people who believed in the Jewish God. They were people who would have been what they would have considered pagans. They would have believed in a lot of different gods. And they were known to be, uh, Magi was often astrologers, people who studied the stars. They weren't Jews, so they didn't know a lot about this. They didn't follow the God of Moses, but they did know something. 
That's what I'm, I'm so that we recognize this star over Bethlehem. Here's a big star over Bethlehem. They're like, there's something going on over there. And they traveled. Now, guys, this isn't like flying. You get what I'm saying? Like, remember all the time I talked to you guys about the roads? What's in the roads? The exhaust of all the, 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 the transportation in front of you? You guys know what I'm talking about? Pastor Paul, I don't need to say it, right? You know what I'm talking about. You, I, I, you, I got it. Okay, I just want to know you, you know what I'm laying down, okay? This travel would have been slow and tedious and all over a star that they saw. We saw his star. And this star led pagans who did not believe in God to follow all the way to this place. They show up to Jerusalem thinking that, hey, this would be the logical place to start. And what I find more interesting than anything else is that the priests and the teachers of the law knew exactly where the Messiah was born. And here are these astrologers even saying, we saw his star. We saw his star. They know where the Messiah... Why aren't they all there? Why, why is the band, why is the worship team not going down the road going, woo, let's go, let's do this thing, right? I mean, I'm sitting here going, what in the world is wrong with these people, Right? You have these people saying, hey, we see the star of the, of the king of the Jews. Where is he supposed to be born? Oh, yeah, in Bethlehem. And no one's going to check this out. That would have been priority uno for me. All right. <laughs> and they heard the king, uh, and they had heard the, uh, the king. They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. They were following a star. And they kept following it until it seemed it had stopped and they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Have you ever met someone you thought couldn't get saved? Is there anybody in here that maybe once in your life were looked at that way, like everyone around you is like, you are not getting saved? Come on, raise your hand, be proud of that. And you're here right now, here today. Come on, right? Come on, right? Everybody looks at you and say, you're not going to be sending a bunch of evangelists to the pagan astrologers, and they show up, right? And they worship the king. They opened their treasures and presented him with gold. You can tell that this was a bunch of dudes, right? If it was a bunch of girls coming over, they would have had formula and diapers. You know what I'm saying? They were like, hey, we, we know Mary. But no, guys show up with drum solos. They show up with gold and myrrh and frankincense. They're like, thanks. We could have used diapers and formula and some clothes. You know, come on. You know, so, so anyways, so I'm kidding. Okay, so not having been warned and having been warned, they went back in, a, uh, from a, uh, in the dream. They did not go back to Herod. They returned a different way. So the last one is this, the greatest hero of all. The hero of all of our stories is Jesus, right? Come on, right? So, saving the best for last, Jesus sacrificed. I want to say that what we're looking at, the hero of Jesus, the sacrifice of a king. Now, now so here we go. And it came to pass. We're almost done, guys. I know we're, 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 we're running out of time, but we have all the time that we want because this is not about us and our schedules. It's about Jesus. It came to pass that in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census took, uh, first took place 
while Canarius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because, of, because he was uh, of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to, uh, for her to be delivered. And she has brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room at the inn. So here's the thing. I want you to consider this. This is so. I was sharing with Pastor Paul earlier. Uh, he's been reading a lot of Max Lucado books lately, and this this um, was inspired. I don't know, 20, 23 years ago when I was in college, I read a book by Max Lucado about the um, incarnation of Jesus. Have you ever considered what Jesus sacrificed? Have we ever? A lot of times we're so selfish by nature, we really don't think about the sacrifice of others. But I want you to, I hope that this sinks in a little bit. Jesus sacrificed his being in heaven to be on earth. Now, at first, maybe you're like, well, that's not that really big of a deal, but it is. If you'd ever been heaven, I guarantee you don't want to come back. Do you know who the maddest person in the Bible was? Lazarus. Four days in paradise, and well, we're bringing you right back. He's like, Jesus, what are you doing? I didn't want to be here. Four days he was dead. Jesus like, come back. and like, no, I don't want to. Jesus, a part of the Trinity. Guys, sometimes what we do is we make the mistake by thinking that Jesus, this is when he was created. You can't be God and be created. Jesus was always. So how do we know that? John 1. John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was was God. Everything that was created was created through the Word. Then in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, it says, then the Word became flesh. So Jesus was a part of the holy, eternal Trinity. So this is God putting skin on. Amen? He's in heaven, all of the angels singing forever how holy and glorious he is to come down and to be on earth. He sacrificed his throne seat to be laid in a horse trough. You guys get in the picture? You guys get in the picture? Okay. Jesus sacrificed his title as the Son of God. Yes, he's called the Son of God, but he gets another title. The Son of Man. Remember how often he says, I'm the Son of Man. He claimed to be the Son of Man himself. Can you imagine when you were only known as the Son of God to then have to also be called the Son of Man? Now, it's, it's a lot of us sitting there going, well, is that really all that bad of a thing? If you were God and to become man, it is a pretty big deal. But our problem is, is that we have so much pride in our lives that we don't really see the sacrifice. But maybe the next couple will show you. Jesus sacrificed his heavenly worship for the mocking of man. Think about this. They're singing all these angels. When he's in heaven, they're singing all about his glory and all about his holiness and about how amazing he is. And he comes down here and people are throwing rocks 
mocking him, ridiculing him, persecuting him. Come on, right? And he still did it anyways. Jesus sacrificed his crown of glory for a crown of thorns. Starting to see the picture, right? Jesus sacrificed his scepter for three rusty nails. Sacrificed his throne room for a tomb. Now, of course, we know that because Jesus rose again, he received all of those things in full back. But I'm wanting you to think about it. How many of us would have made those same sacrifices? God in his infinite wisdom, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. If I go down there, so you got to think about this. All started in in, in, in the garden when sin was unleashed, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree and they unleashed death and sickness, and disease, and sin. All the way through history, then we get into the book of Exodus, and God begins to teach about the sacrificial lamb, the blood. must There must be blood to cover your sin. And then John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, said, Behold the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. When I look at these, and these are just, I had to come up with just a a few statements. You could go on and on and on and on about this incarnation and about how much he had to humble himself to come down here to be this for us. But what I want you to see is how highly favored you are. Because he did every one of them for us. For you, for your children, for your children's children, for for your parents and your grandparents, and for all of generations, for all of mankind, Jesus made that sacrifice. See, remember, he's all-knowing. He knew the moment he came down here that he would be mocked, ridiculed. He knew he was going to a tree. You remember how many times he told his disciples, I'm going to go away. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. I'm coming back. He knew all of it and he still did it. He knew all of that and yet he still did it. Well, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There is so much that we can gather from this amazing story. This altar is for so many different things. Maybe this is a day right now where maybe you've been struggling with your faith. Say, I'm not sure that I believe all of this stuff. And maybe today is the day that you place your faith in Jesus. Maybe that's what today is. Maybe this is a day where you say, Lord, I'm sorry for all the rebellion that I've been doing. God, I'm going to take your word and I'm going to do it. Maybe today is the day that you submit yourself to God in the way of simple obedience. God, I want to be like Joseph. And when you say it, I do it. From here on out, God, that's what I want to do. 
Maybe you're like one of the shepherd. Maybe you want to become more like the shepherds today. And you say, man, I've been running from sharing my faith. God has placed all different kinds of people in your path. He's given you all different kinds of neighbors. He's put you in the place of making friends with people who need Jesus. They need a Savior. Maybe today's the day you say, I'm going to start sharing my faith. God, today's the day I'm going to start sharing my faith. Maybe today is this the day that you're saying, God, I want to thank you for what you came and did. Well, I'm gonna th- I want to thank you. I want to praise you and worship you for the sacrifices you made for me. Whatever it is, I want you to know this altar's open right now. Maybe you just need to, maybe God's just going to nudge you to say, thank, be thankful. Maybe there's some change in your life that needs to happen now. What better time to give your life to the Lord to make a change than the day before we celebrate the birth of a Savior. Without the birth, there is no cross. Without the cross, there is no redemption. Without redemption, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there's only hell. The altar's open. If there's anyone here today they want to give their life to Jesus and you don't know how, I'm going to be right over here to the side and I would love to help you.